This is Thomas DePolo. This is Max. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. Okay, so I wanted to see if you guys had any uh, any any thoughts about damage, dying, and death uh, in RPGs. You know, maybe Delta Green, maybe other games. I prefer it happens to the other guy. Yeah. Patriotism, making the other bastard die for their country. Um, I guess I'll start with, like, what really got me thinking about this. Um, the last time I went to Gen Con, which was... A depressingly long Many time. Many moons ago. <laughs> a depressingly like, what, 10 long. years ago? Yeah, yeah. Back before, in the before times. Um, I went to... Was, it wasn't even in the tw- 20s? No. No, it was 2019. <laughs> oh, <God>. Jesus. <laughs> this last decade. <laughs> oh my God. My God. Um, I went by the Tuesday Night Games booth in the thing, which is uh, where Sean McCoy was, the guy who wrote Mothership. And he's given out like free pamphlet games. One of them was Heist. Actually, I think I'm lying. I think Max, I think you picked this up for me because yeah, I, I yeah. got I got everything because you had overscheduled yourself and you were afraid they were going to run out of all the books. But yeah, it turned out right. that the one that you really wanted, they didn't ha- they didn't have at that. Um, the one that you really really wanted, they didn't even have uh, preview copies of it. And then the other one that you wanted for the Mothership collection was not going to be in until. Um, the next day. Right. But I, I do also remember that I used, um, I used your like buy, buy three and get one free to like get one of the books that I was planning on buying for myself. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it leveled out. But anyways, one of the pamphlet games you picked up for me was a game called Heist. Yeah. And it's like a cops and robbers type, you know, really rules light. I mean, it was a pamphlet game. So, but, um, the one thing that really stuck with me on that was this concept that he had on it called Death Cup. Which is like you rolled your death saving throws out of view of everybody underneath like an actual like cup on the table <laughs> so that um, nobody knew the result of the death saves until in character someone would go check on the the dying person and then you'd you know pull the cup off and it'd be like in a movie where you know are, are they do they make it or not I like the idea because it you can you mean at least in like Dungeons and Dragons, you know, a game that has death saves. Uh, I mean, you definitely metagame it. Like, oh, they passed the first one. Well, all right. I can, they got time. I can keep fighting. That's why I started adopting it for uh, 5e, actually. Like, uh, you just roll. Um, you could make as many as five, and nobody would know. Uh, because you'd need, you know, three death saves. In order to, like, stand back up and be back on your feet, you need three saves. So if you made it to five, you know, it'd be best three out of five. But it, um, it was cool when I did it because... People, you know, it's it's an uncertainty issue. Like, it's a thing about not knowing what the outcome is. And so it does, like, apply pressure to the players who didn't go down to try and do something about it. Because you never know. Instead of being like, oh, you know, he's made two death saves. I could probably go another couple rounds before I hate to get over to him or whatever. Yeah, so, so the meta in 5th, if I remember correctly, is that you never really bother to heal anyone that much to get them off of uh, Death's Door because you are never going to be able to, from an action economic perspective, heal more than the incoming damage. So just the important thing is to give them the ability to, to keep attacking back, plus um, healing word. 
the one that the one that heals like a minimal amount of damage amount of, amount of uh, HP is um, I want to say it's usable as a quick action or like a reaction or whatever, and it has infinite range. Whereas like all of your core healing spells require you to spend an action and be adjacent to the target. Yeah, yeah. It's range and it's a bonus. It is a bonus action. And it's range and it's honestly yeah. doesn't, doesn't heal that much less than cure. It's like it's like a D four instead of a D eight. Right, because it also scales with um. You can like like make with it higher spell if you really want to. Too. Yeah, but. A lot of people don't like, um, not, not just like the death saves or whatever, but specifically because you're never going to heal more than the damage of the next attack. Like, realistically, if you're down, it's because the enemies are dealing a substantial amount of damage, and that damage is more than any healing spell or item you have in your back pocket. So you're not trying to outheal the damage, you're just trying to raise the number above zero so that that guy can be back in the fight and continue doing his thing, and so it produces this effect that people call the yo-yo, or I'm sure there's other terms for it, where you get knocked down, you get back up again, you get knocked down, you get back up again. You're never going to keep you down. The death saves basically don't like if you're if you're playing with like a min max party or not even just a min max party but like if you're playing with someone who knows that that spell is used in that specific way it's less about the death saves and more about this just back and forth between um like being up and down again i have found um in fights where more than half the party goes down and then comes back up through you know good barrier healing ward or something i have found that those makes for very tense and very enjoyable encounters <laughs> Yeah, it's tense and it's enjoyable. Uh, the downside is that depending on how the action economy works, you can have people who are spending like a lot of the encounter essentially not getting to play the game because of be- because there is a substantial buffer between being down and being dead, but that buffer is spent, you know, not doing anything, which oh. makes sense because because if if there wasn't any consequences, then it would be even sillier than this this yo-yo. But it also means that like if you get bodied, then then you could be out for um just in terms of the number of turns, you could be out for like a third of the of the encounter. In in one game, I played um. Uh, the person who was doing the death saves, the the DM encouraged them to like, hey, uh, your life's flashing um, in front of your eyes. Why don't you tell us like a memory for the, for your turn instead of like, uh, you know, as long as it doesn't take too long, that's just a way to have some engagement. <laughs> the table. But well, I, I I do agree that like the most memorable fights. Uh, I remember. I'm just thinking back to like Pathfinder Society, and the one that I remember most distinctly is the one where um, we got kind of cocky and didn't do the like, okay, there's multiple enemies, so we should funnel them through the door. And then there was like a giant ass scorpion or whatever. And what I specifically remember was um, being the uh, the cleric. I was. You know how clerics in, in Pathfinder can do channeling, and channeling is like a circle of, of healing energy. But because um, because shit was all fucked up and there was guys swarming all over the place, I was like, oh, I gotta get into the room and I gotta rescue um, all my boys. So I cast Fly, flew up to the ceiling, and then because um, I'm pretty sure channel is a sphere, so I just flew directly over the um, the guy I was trying to heal, so that the um, the radius of the sphere was such that it healed the dude directly below me but not any of the fucking guys swarming around him oh that's good that's really clever i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure that's how that's what happened because um if you if you guys told me no it's not a sphere it's just um it's just a cylinder like a like a like with an infinite vertical dimensions i'd believe you but that's what that's how i remember it happening it's it's a sphere i remember that too anyway so so um will i i i i I dismissed your example but coming to think of it now i actually agree with it it's right all along 
Yeah. Well, but the interesting thing though is that um in those types of games cuz I run I run I don't I don't typically run like your uh 5th edition like mo- modern D20 based games like not so much Pathfinder and um the other one uh 5th E. Yeah, like you said. Um I when I The other one yeah, the other one. When I, uh, well, cause Pathfinder isn't even the newest one. There's Pathfinder 2nd, which I have not even read, let alone played. Same. Uh, but, um, the, even, even on like the older, uh, I, I don't, I don't even really run like, like, like older type edition games. Like, I ran a little bit of Lamentations in Underground. I thought it was kind of a boring rule set. I ran a lot of Esoteric Enterprises, and that game was also, the mechanics are not that game's strength, although it does have some interesting things that we can talk about in a second. But the thing that I remember most from running, um, even just like my own, like, I'm not satisfied with any of these games, I'm going to make my own, fuck you. Uh, the thing that I remember the most was that it's very easy against certain types of enemy to get tar-pitted, because this that's a genre it's a genre of games where hypothetically you're supposed to like run away if there's danger that you can't fight but all it takes is for like if you're fighting even a single like ghoul or carrion crawler or something if one guy gets paralyzed the rest of the group basically has to stand and fight because um you're not going to be able to like drag that person out of there and escape because the just action economically it doesn't work so if there's any kind of like stun mechanic involved then you are either com- you're either committed to the fight or you have to leave someone behind to die. Oof. And I was thinking about that in terms of um, fifth edition because fifth edition is a game, at least from what I remember, fifth edition is a game that um, does not have like a system for I would like to to break off the fight and run away. It has an it has an action called I think it was disengage where you can you can move away but you're still like stuck in the combat action economy. So you you disengage and you take a move action and the other guy takes a move action and just slaps you again. And there's not a way to just cleanly break off and and flee. So if you get in that stage where you're in the the you know the yo-yo of life and death, constantly getting down and brought back up again, you might recognize we need to get the hell out of here, but mechanically you are not well placed to do so unless you have specifically like okay, I'm going to take a wand of expeditious retreat or boots of running the fuck away or whatever. I promise this is going to land somewhere, but I play this this game called Arma. Arma. Well, it's Arma, Arma balls anyway. going to fit in your mouth. Arma balls going to fit in your mouth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I play, this, I play this game called Arma. Um, and they just released a big Vietnam uh, like DLC for it. So there's uh, there's three ways that like a down person can be revived, right? Uh, somebody can run, a medic can run up and like kneel over the corpse for like 20 seconds, but then you're kneeling over a guy under fire and that's you're super exposed. Somebody can drag you, so they can, it's a really quick action to like grab somebody by their shoulders and drag them away. But you're you're kind of slow moving, but it can get you out of line of fire quickly. Or somebody can pick you up and throw them over your back, which is like a kind of in the middle. It's it's you're in the open for longer, but once you've got the person on your back, you can like sprint around a corner and then put them down. So it's really interesting that there's like it seems to me what D and D needs is more ways to like more corpse mobility, which I'm sure all the necromancers listening are like cheering. But you know <laughs> more more ways to move bodies. You know like a, uh, you know whether it's like a just drag somebody for a second, but like it's like a bonus action or like pick them up as a move and then double move or you know other ways to interact with bodies would make that tar pit effect a lot less like bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so when I, what I did what I ended up doing is I. Um... I wanted the uh, 
the rules for running away in my imaginary... It's not an imaginary game, it exists. It is a, it is a game that takes place in an imaginary world, but I did write it. Um, I, I wanted I wanted running away to generally favor the players, and in cases where it doesn't, you can like sacrifice stuff. So what I did is I, I wrote the rule to say, um, if you're running away, you get to roll d20 plus the number of inventory slots that you have empty. And then if you don't like the value that you got, you can retroactively say, I'm dropping this many items to improve my bonus. So if you want to run away, you can like drop all your treasure or drop your weapon or whatever to get away faster. And then what I said basically was, if you are carrying another player character, you do get a a numeric penalty, but it's not, but, but it's just assessed as, um, the amount of shit that they are carrying is, is like attached to the penalty to your role. So what you can do is you can just say, I'm just, I'm, I'm, um, rescuing the guy, but I'm leaving like his backpack behind or his belt or whatever. And so that way, that way it's still possible to like rescue. Cause realistically, if you're, if you're actually using like, um, the actual, like, okay, how much, you know, does a person weigh or whatever, you're just never going to fucking get away. So you have to, like, find a middle ground where you do have some penalty for fleeing with a with a body thrown over your shoulder, but it's not such that no one will ever do it. Plus, like, people, game developers underestimate what a person could do in a moment of adrenaline. Uh, uh, one time in the Ghost Guard, I fell... The guy who was driving the boat turned really, really fast, uh, and I like slid backwards off the side of the boat. And this little dude who could never have picked me up, like never have picked me up, just reached out with one hand, grabbed my life jacket, and he hauled, like yanked me back in the boat in one in one swing. And it was just like it was just like mom strength, like you know when the parents see their child been crushed by a car, like they get crazy and like push a car away. Like that's all it was. He just just like, well, I have to grab grab this guy, so I'm going to do it. So like, if your paladin's down, they will have a lot of armor on, like. Yeah, your boys could probably drag them for like fifty feet, you know, in an emergency if they had to. That's like what adrenaline is. For. I like the idea of um, adventurers designing plate armor that has oh, a, a handhold, quick release. oh, a quick release, yeah, yeah, that or a, or a, dra- a drag strap, yeah. a handhold, definitely. But but when so actually, um, I was just thinking about this today. So for those of you who who haven't been listening in on Night of the Arbor, this is going to date this episode. I've been replaying um, Resident Evil Four because it's a really cool game, and it still totally holds up. But one thing that I noticed is um, certain stuff in the game, they like they, they did like an HD re-release, and some of the textures are still like the old ones and the models, the old ones, but some of them they, they like updated. Uh, and one of them, one of the things that I noticed is that they actually modeled the drag strap on the back of the tactical vest. When you, at the end of the game, you get the option to like buy um, like a Kevlar vest from the merchant, and it's got all like the plates on it, it's got all the pouches, and it's got the drag strap at the back of the neck. Which is like a detail that I did not expect the game to have. Well, if you if you recall in uh, in Iron Man two, uh, Rhodey gets stuck inside one of the suits, and then in Iron Man or in the last Avengers movie, he gets stuck inside the suit, and they they updated the suit so he yells. I think it's canopy, 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 and the whole yeah. suit like disassembles in one shot because like it makes sense. Like if your suit is yeah. damaged, you need to just like get it off, get it off you. So I could totally see like plate armor having like a like a zipper area, you can just like hit it and then it all falls off. Yeah, there's a bit it because well, just because there's so much shit in um in the especially in the older editions of D anD D that's like it's an acid creature or a mold or whatever that attaches and just to continuously deals damage. Or and so if you had the ability to like say I'm dropping my plate armor, I'm sacrificing my protection in order to get the creature off me. That's that's yeah. super cool. 
I'm not a fan of this because this is a significant, significant nerf to the classic strategy of cook and book. Uh, I don't know this what cook is. and book is. That's where you cast heat metal on the guy wearing plate armor because it takes him five minutes to take it off. So he takes 500 damage from the spell. But if heat in the metal, then they drop their armor. Now they have no AC. That's also pretty effective. Uh, yeah, it's less hilarious, though. When I was writing my, my like, the we, we talked about this in a Stuff or Work On episode. So if that hasn't been aired, then we can just cut this. But um, one of the uh, one of the, the spells in my like original way too fucking complicated draft of Tales of the Fleshsmith for the um, the skin magic school was uh, Fomication, which is or is it Fomication or Formication? It's the one where you think you're that ants are crawling all over your body, and so if you cast it on someone, they get that and they have to take off all their armor. <laughs> I like it. And uh, I think um, there's a there's a thing in the uh, the the Brigador novelization where there's a that they have like the power armor or whatever that they walk around in, but then it has a uh, it has like an eject function which really like you'd think you'd think would not be that convenient because it's just violently catapulting you out of a standing position so you like you know land on your back or something and and get horribly injured. But there's a really cool bit where um, one of the guys is is like he's like fighting in a trench or something and he can't turn around fast enough so he just. He, he just like slams the eject, jumps out with his carbine, shoots like three guys, and then climbs back in. That's pretty cool. And then later, the dude, the dude's suit gets set on. One of the dude's suits gets set on fire, and so he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna cook alive in here." And um, he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna, I need to eject." And he grabs the ejection handle and it breaks off because because it was it, they they're in one of those situations where like we 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 have this old ass piece of equipment. And it's, you know, it's got this feature, but we can't test the feature. We can't test the ejection handle because we're worried we'll break the, we'll break the suit. So, and we can't replace it. So they just never test any of their like life critical equipment because they're worried that by testing it, they would make it not work. That's, that's funny. Kevin, your, your armor examples, uh, they were just kind of made me think now about, um, how healing works in Delta Green and, uh, and, you know, like strategies for healing or taking, you know, mitigating damage in, uh, in Delta Green. Like during, uh, active shooter training, I remember one of the things they told us the most was like, don't stop shooting in order to help someone that's been shot. You have to like stay in the fight. You know, you have to like keep shooting. So, uh, you know, talking about like the yo-yo nature of, of D&D, like the most important thing for someone who's not hurt is just to keep fighting. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that's, we come back to the, the action economy thing. That's why, like, like I said, you, you take the, um, the one that can be used as a bonus action rather than the one that takes right. your whole action for right. that exact reason. But I was thinking, like, if we could invent an action in Delta Green, cause you know, you only get one per turn, but like, uh, a cool, like, suppressive fire, like, combat drag would be nice. Like, I, I leave my cover. I'd shoot a lot at the bad guys to make them get their heads down, and then I drag the uh, the, the injured friend back to cover, and then they can self heal. I feel like what I what I would do, depending on how injured the person was, is like say say Jake makes a move to pick up Will. I would let I would like I would have Jake's action be the movement and the dragging, and I would let Will get a free suppressive fire shot because he's being dragged and he can like you know oh, just yeah. like put his gun it's up. That and classic photo range. of the guy who's like being fireman carried, and he has his pistol out still returning fire. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I was thinking the suppression mechanics would actually be pretty useful here too. Um, but I don't know. It, it seems like with the suppression mechanics, uh, I, I'm the type of handler that if you mag dump, you can get like a bonus to your chance to hit. Like I'll give you like a 20% bonus if you just dump an automatic or even a semi-automatic gun, you know? That 
used to be how it worked in Dark Heresy in the 40k RPGs. You'd get a bonus to, for firing on full auto. Uh, they made it the reverse in the later editions where they they made full auto be a, a small penalty. And the reason they did that was was because um, the reasoning was that you're less accurate, you're less likely like to hit. But if you do hit, you're going to hit more times. Oh, yeah, it's different. <laughs> and I was just thinking... Um, the 40k RPGs also have a suppression mechanic. It works a little bit differently than in, than in Delta Green, but the same the same tactic would work there uh, to have to have one guy you know suppress while he's getting dragged by another guy. Because in in you know Second Edition Dark Heresy and in Black Crusade, how it works is you just you just define a, a 30 degree angle and just say that that direction. Everybody and you roll, and then if you make the roll with a huge penalty, you hit something. And if you don't, you're just shooting bullets and everybody in that cone has to duck to cover because, oh God, That's bullets. That's cool. So I, I like the idea. The, so the, the issue with Delta Green Combat is that you're, there isn't a whole lot of benefit to dragging your wounded buddy around. It's like, to my mind, you're much better off shooting the guy and killing the guy who shot your buddy, like clearing the enemies out. Because it's not like your buddy's either fine. Uh, like he's either stunned and he'll be fine or he's dead. And dragging him around isn't well. I'd, isn't I'd like to remind any? you of the frequently forgotten rule that cover negates lethality damage rolls. Like dragging your dragging your buddy to cover is somewhat important. Well, I was I was thinking like extracting if you're trying to if you're trying to retreat and one guy's yeah gone down. get in a vehicle and flee or whatever yeah. an armored vehicle. Yeah, that, so the issue with Delta Green is that um, Delta Green has a pretty strict action economy, and one of the things that that does is that it makes just standing and shooting kind of the 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 go-to action because there's all there's all this other stuff that you could hypothetically do but it has a pretty significant opportunity cost so if you want people to move around and and run away and do all this other tactical stuff you need to be a little less strict about the the rules than the, the the rules text suggests i like that concept yeah and this, this is something that that's true i think of most games but that most in in even even in games that have like pretty intricate positioning and movement uh what you'll find is that the rules kind of incentivize get stuck in and then keep attacking because of stuff like um let's 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 talk about the example of pathfinder where uh, the whole system of like threatened squares, AOOs, combat maneuver defense, etc., means that once you get stuck in, there's a pretty significant opportunity cost to leaving a hand-to-hand -hand fight. And if you've built your character properly, you can deal with that. Like a trip-focused guy who can just kick the shit out of someone if they get close, or kick the shit out of them if they run away. Great, you know, with a pole weapon, or someone who's got, like specced into acrobatics and bought the right feet so that they can just move wherever they want and not worry about AOOs. But just for the average schlub, the solution is usually get into hand-to-hand -hand range and then keep attacking because of the opportunity cost of, of not doing that. Uh, I think that in uh, like like playing fast and loose is definitely like more fun, uh, like a less strict interpretation of the combat rules. But I also think that like a lot of player characters could use um, things like smoke grenades or frag grenades or um, even having firefights that. And I think you've mentioned this before, Max, that most firefights in Delta Green are like dudes in a hallway like three meters away from each other but like I, like longer <laughs> longer range fights are, are way cooler i just i disagree i think longer range fights are a chore because it's just it's it's like that it's like that combat in kaligati where it's it's like you spend half the you spend half the fight crawling out of the apc and then you spend half the fight like rolling lethality at at guys behind rocks well the cover negates it <laughs> my, my group had fun with that when i ran it 
I acknowledge that Caligati is a scenario that most people like, and I'm in the minority for not liking it. I think that it's a scenario, it's like Night Floors, where it has much better flavor than gameplay, but the flavor for a lot of people is good enough that they don't, that they don't get upset that the actual range of choices is relatively narrow. Kind of like Black Sat, like, 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 I, I, I always whine about Black Sat because it, it's very railroaded, but Black Sat has a lot of cool flavor. Like, I will acknowledge that. Uh, but specifically for me, I think it, what it comes down to is give people the benefit of a doubt if they are doing something besides yeah, attacking. Yeah, definitely. So, like, I would not, I would not, I would not let someone run out, grab a guy, and run back to cover while firing a gun, but I would let them do it while not firing. I'd give a gun. them like a 40% penalty, which is the huge, I think that's actually the end game, like, thing for. Uh, if you try and do more than one action in a turn, it usually comes at like a big penalty, like forty percent. So I I remember I had this discussion with with a friend of ours, Max, with uh, with our buddy Q when we were we were talking about comparing Delta Green to World of Darkness. And in World of Darkness, when you split your actions, what you do is because it's a dice pool system, you just take your dice and you cut them in half. So we were trying to figure out how to do a similar thing in Delta Green. The first idea we came up with was well maybe a twenty or forty percent penalty, and then we realized well wait that just makes it impossible if you have low skill and trivial if you have high skill. Yes, it's just like it's just like um, what do you call it? Uh, double tapping. Double tapping after you re- after you hit fifty percent chance to hit. Double tapping was always mechanically better than uh, single fire because your chances of getting at least one hit were were all were always better with two thirty percent than one fifty. And that was before you started stacking modifiers. So I have two thoughts on how to do that kind of thing in in a system in in specifically in Delta Green to to, to split your attention between two tasks. The first is uh, to take your 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 target number and cut it in half, which I don't really like, but I'll suggest it as an option. And the second is to use an oft forgotten about, little used um, existing mechanic, and that mechanic is willpower. Oh yeah. So if you try to do like dash out of cover, grab a guy, pull him back in, maybe that costs you some. Yeah, willpower. that's a that's a good one, like a D four of willpower. So basically, will willpower is celerity. Well, I think kind will of, yeah. I think Will's power is just reading the rules. That is my power. That made me the most dangerous player in Zomner's uh, Knights Black Agents game. Will where? Because I I don't remember a, a rule for like doing extra stuff using it's, willpower. It's not. No, it's ho- it's house ruled. That's yeah. a good idea. I, think, I know Litho does that a lot on the server. Yeah, that's something that you would do if you wanted to make um, Call of Cthulhu more like the good parts of... Sorry, Delta Green more like the good parts of Call of Cthulhu 7-Ed. Because COC 7-Ed added in um, push rolls and luck spends, which is like you can spend a resource or expose yourself to danger in order to increase your chances of success. And I, I think that's generally good, just because one of the things that I complain about the most in Delta Green is just the feeling of beating your head against the wall. Like, you come up with this plan and then you just fail a skill test and then it's like, okay, last hour down the drain. And, you know, that's something that, that, that on the handler side can be handled by like not being so strict about skill trusts if the players are planning correctly. But it's also something that you can fix mechanically by just giving the players the chance to um, manipulate uh, the dice outcomes. That's something that Unknown Armies does. Unknown Armies generally doesn't deal with numeric modifiers that much. Like you not you aren't you. It's very rare that it'll give like a neg twenty or a plus twenty. What it does instead is it gives you um, a, a set of circumstances on your character sheet that lets you either flip or reroll dice results, and that's the way that they handle modifiers. I think Mothership was the same way, where it was all about advantage and disadvantage, kind of like Fifth Ed. The other thing I think might be interesting is mechanic from Blades in the Dark for Devil's Bargains, 
And I, I, all, all I would, all I mean by that is like, so Jake wants to run out, grab Will, and drag Will back on the cover while shooting. What I would propose is like, okay, you do that, but something else has to happen that's negative. So like, in order to do that, you have to toss your gun aside. Like you, you drop yeah, your gun. Those are good. And you're in a place where like it's in, now it's like in the sewer, so your gun is underwater. It's like, are you willing to toss your gun away to say Will, or like you'll take one hit from an enemy, like. So if you're, you know, if you're at 12 HP and you got body armor on, you might be like, I'll, I'll soak the hit and I'll, you know, I'll grab Will. So like you can introduce some kind of a neat, like you do that, but here's what's going to happen if you do. Do you still want to do it? You know, the thing that I remember people complaining about, and this this isn't like just the circle of people that we, the circle of grognards that we play games with, both uh, Call of Cthulhu and um, Blades have. Pe- I know I know people who have complained that um, both Devil's Bargains and Pushed Rolls, a Pushed Roll is the is the same thing, but in in Call of Cthulhu, uh, both of those do like take significant mental energy from the person running the game. And you can you can like push part of that off on by by like saying to the player, okay, you want to try this again, how does it fuck you up? Like you can you can put the onus on the person proposing to do it to come up with a, a cost of failure. But it's not it's not like a freebie. It does take like work from the person running the game to think to to it's similar to Star Wars to to think of um like what's a fair cost for this thing that makes sense given the circumstances. Yeah, I think like crowdsourcing it works too though. Uh not not just the player but maybe the whole group. Um that, that's how you can get around that. I really do love the the devil's bargain though cuz it puts like the the character's hands in the player's fate and it's pretty good from like a narrative perspective. I, I think you said that. Nope, the wrong it puts way the character's hands in the player's fate. That's exactly what I meant to say. That's correct. <laughs> now, there's the episode title. Have we have we done what we like with this? Because I do actually have one thing that I wanted to talk about regarding specifically Delta Green. Well, if I can circle back, go ahead, Will. With respect to guys going down, I'll slot this back in somewhere where it's more appropriate. I'm going to reach for two video games for comparison. The first is XCOM, uh, new XCOM, in which. Guy goes down, he's bleeding out, not dead. You can pick him up. You can still move almost as fast as you can move normally. You just can't use any of your weapons or active abilities until you put him down. Oh, again. fireman carry action. Yeah, you fireman carry a guy and get him back to the LZ, and that's all. That's all that that agent, that soldier can do. And then once you get him on the Sky Ranger, they're you know gravely wounded, but they're alive. So yeah, they're alive. Yeah, they auto stabilize, which is cool. Uh, and if you if you get bogged down, you have to like drop the guy that takes half your action. The other half of your action is pull out your gun, and start shooting. Uh, the other comparison is um, Dankus Dungeon. You guys know what happens in Dankus Dungeon when you go to zero yeah. HP. Yeah. So when you get to zero HP, you're fine. It's just that any damage after that can kill you. Until well, you're not you you're not fine. You take some pretty significant debuffs to to accuracy and damage and and resistance. And they they added the debuffs specifically to avoid that yo-yo effect that I mentioned earlier because in the earlier builds of DD, especially during early access, there was no penalty for for getting death door. And then they 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 were like this is silly because it means there's no there's no consequence to just falling and, to zero and, and getting off it. And once you get back up to positive, you still have a penalty, but it is a lesser penalty. And again, that was a case where uh, depending on depending on how you had built your team, it might make more sense to have a like an AOE heal that you can toss out across the whole group, get multiple people off DD, or it might be better to have someone who can just come in with a big heal and get one person up. Yeah, well, that is that first one is why people favor the Vestal so much is because she has that AOE heal. One other thing that they did in the multi is that. Um, Damage over time can no longer kill someone at Death Store. When it when it can very much kill someone at Death Store in the single. So like, uh, for those of you not familiar with the system, um, if you get poisoned, 
then you take a tick of damage every time your turn comes up. And if you are at, if your character is at death's door, that can kill you. Which maybe this has some relevance to like, uh, you know, we're just talking about like D20 based games and death saves and so on. And like, come kind of how poison is a real pain in the ass to deal with in tabletop games because it's either a damage over time or uh, a stat debuff, both of which are just very numerically annoying to deal with because it's like, okay, I have to subtract two from my strength. I have to go through my character sheet and look at if that changes my strength mod and whether I get minus one to XYZ. Well, maybe instead poison is just like, you automatically failed this, the, the death saves. So it's it's actually just a straight-up ticking clock and not a um, a random chance. Well, the poison works in 5e is kind of interesting. It doesn't actually do any damage. It's a rider effect on things that do poison damage, and what it gives you is it gives you it gives you debuffs. Yeah, but is it is it debuffs to stats, or is it debuffs, like, I don't know. Off the top of my head, I don't remember. I, I, it's, it's disadvantage on strength and constitution saves, I think. I was thinking about poison because one of the things that I, I thought of with when I heard of this topic is how the Delta Green base game. I think we danced around this earlier. I think someone might have might have been been um, planning on saying it, but the conversation went a different direction. Is that in the Delta Green base game, uh, unless you are at zero HP or like negative HP and in dire need of resuscitation, most of the time there is not really a penalty to being injured. Because the game doesn't have, the, under the base rules, there's not like a bleeding out condition. There aren't really death saves if you're at like two HP and unconscious. Basically, you're, you're, you have multiple, you have, the, the states that you have are, uh, fine, unconscious, and dead. If you use the optional rules, then there is a, a condition where if you die but you're not super dead, you can be resuscitated, like re- restored with a first aid test. And that one is time sensitive, but that one I, I find does not come up super often. And so what that means is that in practice, uh, there is no circumstance where it's like, or, or it's very rare that someone's like, I have to rush this person to medical treatment. Like if you take a serious injury in the field in Delta Green, you get, you, you know, you lose like eight of your 12 HP. Um, that for the most part, you're not, you're not like gonna, they're not gonna like rush you to the hospital for that because it kind of, the only thing it, that, that that will do is make your long-term HP restoration better which within the scope of the operation is not that important. But but the one circumstance and, and, and oh oh I should say this just to just to, to, to context. The 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 time at which you die if you're waiting for resuscitation is short enough that like rushing to the hospital will not save you. So it's either too short or too long to matter. The one circumstance where you will need to take someone in for medical treatment in Delta Green and where like it's on the matter of minutes or hours rather than seconds or days is poison. In Delta Green, poison is a massive amount of damage that is delayed by X amount of time, depending on what you're poisoned with. And you can get a substantial modifier to your chance to survive, like reduce the incoming damage dramatically by getting medical treatment. So if you get if if you get a, a hit with a poison weapon or a creature or something, then you are on a timer to go to a hospital or to like a ranger station where they have rattlesnake antidote or something and get the poison unfucked before your character dies. I remember reading somewhere that a lot of hospitals actually don't keep a supply of like poison on ha- or uh, antidote on hand. Because it's like expensive and it happens so rarely that like when some hospitals are doing budgeting, that's like one of the things they choose to not stock, which is fucking terrifying. Thanks, American healthcare system. The only thing to stock what is profitable to them and snake bites are probably pretty unprofitable. You guys you guys say that, but my concern is that this is something that might like 
also happen in other countries that that um, that even even countries that have like functioning healthcare systems because guess what those hospitals are also like underwater financially and so this might just be a case of like if you're poisoned well I better hope that you can find the snake and fucking milk it no matter where you live just die yeah <laughs> hang on just 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 make the con save anyways um it's a fictional game so you know we can we can we can live in the world we want to live. <laughs> Will you mentioned this when we were talking about this earlier that um, if you are gonna make it about like the race to the hospital or whatever or about you know do you have the antidote, it should be something that's based on like how much time do you have and before you die and not like random chance that someone has the antidote. Yeah. So like if your character is like a super good doctor and good at survival and has all the skills, then they probably just have it with them. And if not, then you should. It should be about like getting to the hospital, not about like oh the, the hospital just can't fucking save them. Well, the one the one person the doctor specialist who could heal you is actually on uh, leave today, so your character oh is randomly God, he's dead. Not here. So uh, this hospital is out of your network, so your agent is dead. <laughs> yeah, the only the only like papers I can find are about it in the U.S. So I'm curious. Um, those of you who live in like rattlesnake and scorpion infested countries that have um, that have socialized medicine, post in the comments whether they stock it or whether you're also fucked if you get bitten there. So talking to all of our Australian fans, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that that honestly be like <laughs> yeah. the best point of comparison. Actually, I wonder, um, is there is there an antidote to like box jellyfish? Urine, human urine. I think that's bullshit. I think that's one of those <laughs> like legends that people tell. I think I read about this once. I think it's that. It's the temperature change, like for some reason, warmth applied to it will slow down the venom. So there's a bit of truth in that urine is typically body heat, but there's nothing actually special about it otherwise. <laughs> it says here that um, once a tentacle of a box jellyfish adheres to skin, it pumps nematocyst with venom into the skin, causing the sting and agonizing pain. Flushing with vinegar is used to deactivate undischarged nematocysts and prevent the release of additional venom. Let's see here. There is no scientific evidence that urine, ammonia, meat tenderizers, sodium bicarbonate, boric acid, lemon juice, water, steroid cream, alcohol, cold packs, papaya, or hydrogen peroxide will disable further stinging. Yeah, but I mean, you have a chance to pee on one of your friends. You know, you, you take it. <laughs> okay, Kevin. <laughs> That's a great stinger. <laughs> nice. That that's 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 some fucking wordplay right there. So we talked about death and dying, but from a mechanics perspective, about you know what it means to take damage or what it means to try and you know save people or hurt people in combat or whatever. But I came across this uh, rather controversial tweet on the Twitter spear. Um, and the gist of it is, is that random events can't kill heroes. Otherwise their death would have no meaning. And it's, uh, I think it's a, it's taken from seventh C, which is, I think, a, isn't that a Pelgrane? It's Chaosium. Oh, is it, is it Chaosium? Okay. Well, hey, whatever. Uh, they can't die after falling off balconies. They can't die in burning houses. They can't die from the plague. Only a villain can kill a hero. That's a deliberate choice on our part. So it's like in, in Highlander. Uh, there can only be one. The, the only way to kill an immortal is another immortal kills him or something. I, I never actually... I haven't seen Highlander. It looked pretty bad. I haven't seen Highlander either. <laughs> well, I, I look forward to the angry comments telling us, that's not how Highlander works. That's not the mythology of Highlander, guys. If I wanted to watch like a better version of Highlander, I'd watch Shetley's The One. If I wanted to watch a better version of Highlander, I'd just watch Macbeth. <laughs> never heard of it. 
so anyways, I, I, I remember uh, when I first saw this tweet, I posted it in our, our Discord, and I think Melonbread said, like, fuck you or something like that. It was a very... What I said was... <laughs> was I mean, I'll say, fu- I'll say fuck you morning, noon, and night, but what I said was, <laughs> like, the specific part I objected to was the part that you didn't quote when you just gave the introduction. It was the part about how, like, that's what happens in the story. And this gets to a core of my objection to this philosophy. Not even my objection to this philosophy, but, like, why I don't run my games this way, which is that the purpose of my games is not to emulate a story told by someone else. It is to bring to life the combination of the created world and the unexpected actions of the players. Right. So I, I thought there was enough meat for us to talk about this as a subject. And because we talked about death mechanically, I thought we might talk about it symbolically with, you know, like questions like, should death have a meaning in Delta Green as a starter question, I guess. Man, I don't want to start with that question. Oh, okay. I want well, to start with... go ahead then. Change, <laughs> wanna... change, change it up. I, I do. So I, I really like the the 7C like concept there. I really like the idea that like an accident can't kill you. Because one of the rules I try to live by as a DM is like bad dice won't kill you, but bad decisions will. It's like, I don't care how many ones you roll. That's not going to get your character killed. It's, you know, it's repelling into the darkness with no rope. You know, or it's you know, it's repelling in the darkness with with no guns and body armor and light sources. You know that that'll kill you. But rolling a one in your repel roll won't. Um, so this, it, it, I think they're very kind of. I think they're kind of tied together. Um, I don't think that works so well for Delta Green, but like for like D and D and like Seventh C and stuff, I think it works awesome. And I think that if I ever ran Dungeons and Dragons again, I would definitely make that like one of the top several rules for like the world. But, like you're not going to die from an accident. You might get messed up from it, and it's going to have like narrative consequences, and you know it's going to be a challenge to be overcome. But like only a only a ba- only like a big bad evil guy can like kill you. And I remember um, I said, well, like what if the person didn't fall off the balcony? What if they just jump off the balcony? And that's uh, I guess I guess you'd say, Kevin, that's a bad decision on the player's part. Yeah, exactly. That's so, not your so, role so, killing you. That's so would, that's your would, would they die if they chose that? If if I jumped off this balcony, would if you jumped off this balcony, would you die? Well, like if yeah, if you jumped off, it, it would be this, extremely painful. <laughs> if you jumped into this, you know, uh, <laughs> bottomless, bottomless pit. pit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that story again. I think the issue is probably there is like before you describe what happens when the player does the thing, you tell them what the risks are. So if you don't want to, if you don't want them to die, you just say like death isn't at risk. You come up with something else. But if they're just doing a, a stupid thing like jumping off the balcony to see if you'll do it, yeah, you might, <laughs> you might. Uh, break your neck if you flub this. Yeah, I mean, I guess like, yeah, you're not dead, but you're paralyzed from the waist down. Like, you know, um, and and I think it's to me, it's it's like if a player is obviously just fucking around, like then th- then they get to find out. Um, but like then I'd be like, oh cool, you jump off the building, and now you don't get to play my games anymore because you're obviously not. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to so play with that kind of person. I, right? I would back up to see finding out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but, but like back if, if up, they're even before the player has the chance to say i jump off the balcony you should have already talked to them prior to the game starting here's my expectations for you as players you know you give them basically like an initial counseling of of like hey don't do stupid stuff we're trying to play a game here like don't you know we're not here to i I remember there's like a seth skorkowski bit about you know like bad players and like bad bad player like archetypes and one of them was like the tester 
it's like someone who's always just like pushing the limits of your game like oh man what happens if i you know tell the chief of police he's a rat-faced pig fucker or whatever and like just and it's out of the blue or whatever you know he may or may not deserve it but like or, or like what if he just jumps off the balcony or what if he just murders the important npc that guy who's always like pushing the limits you know so like before you even get to that point you should have like had a talk be like hey look here's what we're playing here's what you know you can expect from me here's what i'd like to expect from you that's sort of uh the talk so talking about the balcony jumping again like say your character jumps off the balcony because they're being chased by like all the guards right so i make him do a role whatever the role is acrobatics or you know whatever the game system is make them do some kind of role and if they fail then like it's like aim for the bushes like you know, you fall a couple stories, you, like, smash your leg, you know, you smash your arm up, and you gotta, like, limp away, you know, in shame. Like, now you gotta realize, you know, how do you, you know, you gotta find someone to, like, sit your, put your bones back together and, like, heal you, and, you know, that's a problem. But if, like, you succeed, well, then you just, like, jump down to, like, there's, like, a nice awning there that you, like, put your sword through and, like, ride down. Or, like, a big banner you ride down, like, you know, in typical, like, swashbuckling fashion. Right. But, like, needs to, like this is the failure outcome isn't death, it's just you're injured, and the success outcome isn't it wasn't death either because success but like like i feel like in 7c when in this philosophy like death just isn't one of the possible outcomes and if it's like a critical failure well then like maybe you're just more fucked up like oh you land on your your, you know you land on jake who was down there waiting for you and now you're both injured like that's like the worst way to go bonehead but i i don't unless i was running a really oddball like gonzo kind of delta green i don't think that this would work for Delta Green. I'm, I'm willing to be convinced otherwise, but I feel like it just kind of fits in the face of the gritty, like, the Delta Green aesthetic. Because, like, Delta, your Delta Green characters aren't, like, heroes. They're just people. Right. Right? Yeah, it's... it's So that's what it kind of boiled down to. If you go back through that Twitter post and you look at the comments, people are like, this is only good for one genre of role-playing game. It wouldn't fit with all genres. And I, I to a certain extent, I guess I agree with that. What, what Delta Green would it work for? Or, like, can we... Can we convince ourselves otherwise, you know what I mean? It works for the pulpier school of Delta right. Green. The more gonzo, supernatural, oops all marshmallows, melon bread style. It works for that. I disagree. I put really? all kinds of things in my scenarios that will kill people that are not villains. Well, then how come I've never been killed for no reason except my own bad decisions? Um, No, you've definitely been killed because I forgot that um, proto-matter is affected by the Elder Sign. You died because of a bullshit, oh, right, yeah. a piece of bullshit rules misknowledge on my part, killed by a creature that literally had no sentience and was just a pile of undifferentiated stem cells. It doesn't get any pettier than that. You're right, I forgot about that. But see, but see, now I'm admitting that was a bad thing, so maybe you're right. I think that my the, the core of my disagreement with this philosophy that was originally articulated at the beginning of the episode is not that you shouldn't just have arbitrary threats that kill the players. No, I agree with that. Like, if someone is just climbing a building during an investigation and they fall off because they roll a critical failure and they die from hitting the ground. My question there is, why are you having them roll at all? If there's no threat, just let them climb the fucking thing so they can get to the interesting part of the scenario. Um, my just my just core objection is just that, like, this philosophy of genre emulation, of I am telling a story to be like another story, is not why I run games. I will run stuff that is an obvious ripoff of another story, but I'm ripping off the content from the story. It's because I want to see what happens when the content is inserted into the Delta Green setting, not because I want to actually emulate the 
thematic arc of that story. Yeah, well, I, I like to run it from, like, a police procedural sort of genre emulation. That's the sort of thing I like, you know. Tell me what you want to research, here's what you get. Tell me who you want to interact with, here's what they say, here's what they do, you know, that sort of thing. And I guess from, like, a police procedural sort of genre emulation perspective, there's not really that many opportunities to die except from, you know, one of the... You know, I, I say that, but then, like, a mook has killed... Like, I, I can count on one hand the number of, like, Delta Green agents I've killed, and it's been a mook a lot of the time, like, that that takes out one of the agents. With what, just firearms? Yeah, it was, a like, a AK or something like that, but it was because they had chosen to engage in a firefight with these guys, so... Again, that does kind of make it a villain, so to speak, and it was because of a choice they made. I was thinking about that because um, I was thinking about The Wire and how many police officers get killed on The Wire, and I was trying to total up in my head, and the only one I can remember is, um, I think Dozerman gets FF'd. Well, Presbaluski kills that guy, and then um, in, I think, early in season one or season two, there's a, because they do the, the funeral at the bar or whatever, and that's because right. somebody died on in the line of duty too. So, but 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 he actually shot, or did he just die of like a coronary or something? No, I'm pretty sure he got shot on the street. But the the reason why I bring it up is that um like the like not maybe not the majority of the deaths and my deaths my character's deaths in Delta Green, but all the ones I remember were friendly fire. <laughs> so, so wait, so that breaks the rule that a villain. A villain can only be the one that kills a hero. <laughs> well, I don't know. All Delta Green agents are villains, so there are there are eighty seven deaths in the wire. And I don't. And I'm looking through, and I don't think any except for uh, Presbo's friendly fire. Except for that one is the only one that's. I want to say it was Presbo who shoots Dozerman because he thought that. Um, I think it was because I think it was literally what we what what you said, Jake. It was that Dozerman was not wearing his badge around his around torso level. He was wearing it on his hip. I mean, there was the question over whether Presbo did it because Dozerman was a was a black officer, but um, it was the actual answer is that Presbo was just kind of a fuck up in general. Yeah, yeah it was a it was a bunch of different bad uh, decisions. Like he was established early on in the series as someone who like had a good analytic mind, but really should not have been on the streets. Yeah. But um, anyways, so it was you know if you're running Delta Green as that police procedural sort of genre investigation uh simulator um then this rule does make sense this still this rule does help like you were saying melon um someone climbing a building to go you know engage in some surveillance at the top of it you shouldn't let them fall to their death there because it's meaningless there's no nothing that really is gained from it right but if they choose to engage in a shootout and they die in the shootout well then that's fine and dandy that's their problem right it also gets a, gets to a question of in a game that's ostensibly a, a horror game or a survival horror game, um, how much danger should be initiated by the action of the players versus how much of it should be endemic to the to the game itself? Because I think um, Tom, this is a case where I used to disagree with you, but I've now come around to your point of view that part of the conceit of a survival horror adventure is that you are going to be put in a dangerous situation through no fault of your own, like in Fulminate. Yeah, I actually saw. I think it's called Loss by a guy named Oz Browning. It's a micro game that bills itself as a horror game. And I think the I can link to it later. But the rules text paraphrased is basically you find yourself in a horrible situation. You describe what you do. The GM will tell you what you lose by doing it. And that's literally the entirety of it. And I just think that's a really interesting framework to approach it from. 
uh, just like what is it? You got to think about the stakes. If death isn't the stakes, if injury isn't the stakes, what are you risking by engaging with any of this? And that's when the dice need to come down is when you approach that risk point. And frankly, that might be a good use for fumbles too. Like if the stakes are fairly low at this point, this is the time to escalate them. Like a guy with a gun comes into the room or a guy with a gun is outside the room shooting into it. What's, that's a, isn't that from a book or something or like a, a writing process? It's like when, when, you don't, when you don't know what to do, have someone enter with a gun or something like that? Yeah, it's Chandler. It's one of him. It's him like kind of jokily making fun of kind of tropey writing in noir mystery stories. But it basically works. I mean, unironically, it's a good idea. You got to do something to keep it punchy. <laughs> so, uh, I, uh, so I'm curious if we if we if we try to like thought experiment this. The idea that the idea that only like villains and whatnot or you know bad player decisions can kill p- characters. It definitely takes away some of the tension, but if we if we take the tension away from that angle, is there other tension we can ratchet up that would make adding this rule to a double green game, or adding this you know setting conceit to a double green that would still be able to keep the tension level sure. where we like uh, it? Bodily harm and death and injury are only one type of threat you can leverage against players. The other one that you can do is like notoriety or being caught or being discovered. Yeah, I, give me one sec. I actually made a list at one point of all the levers you could uh, turn against players. Okay, what can you threaten that players have? Uh, their lives and their sanity are the obvious one. You can do their reputations, which is how NPCs react to them. You can do their jobs with like them potentially getting caught and fired, going to jail. You could threaten their equipment if they are putting a lot of trust in their guns or whatever. And then there's obvious stuff with their bonds. Like, you can sort of hammer on those and bring them into the picture. Those are all good consequences you can put on instead of, like, bodily harm. Yeah, but bonds are one that doesn't emulate well in other settings. That's a good, like, Delta Green specific um, thing you can use. Oh, you want to jump out of this balcony? Well, now your grandma's dead. How about that? Not even like Grandma's Dead. I'm just thinking like, I think (laughs) Getwiller had an example one time of you're trying to sneak around a cult compound and suddenly I think it's your wife calls you to go pick up the kids from soccer practice. (laughs) Well, first of all. And so like. Why do you have your phone with you, bro? Leave that shit at home. You keep your phone with you so that you can play a table talk with your other player uh, players like constantly. And then the GM is like, you know, if you were there, like, oh, we have cell phones. I meant like personal versus burner, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. Well, you maybe your wife calls you on your burner because you just can't keep things separated. <laughs> <laughs> because you use the same burner you used to sneak off with your mistress as the one you take on Delta Green missions. How did you get this number? <laughs> <laughs> or or uh, maybe you've stirred up enough suspicion that your wife's hired a private investigator to come after you. Ooh, that's good. So now you have two problems. I always thought that having a PI show up would be a great way to put a player back into the action if their character got killed. Because they can come in from damn near any angle. Like, oh. like you know, Jake Bond hires, you know, this new character. And then once they get there, the players have to be like, look, it's not what you think. Now that you're here, we need your help. You know, like, and then you just, you know, become... It's not what it looks like. Conspiracy. This is getting to something that this is not the only type of game it shows up in. That there's certain stuff that's um, designed to be fun for the person running the game. And there's stuff that's designed to be fun for the the people playing and i've said over and over again that delta green is a game that i enjoy running much more than playing because when i'm playing a game i do very much prefer the style of like 
you don't have to constantly double check everything because you're worried that you might trip over a, your, your own shoelaces because you didn't check on your shoes and like fall off a waterfall and die. I think that's when I'm playing a game. That's definitely what I what I would prefer. I would like a, a rule set that minimizes the nonsense between the player and the interesting content. And it's what I try to achieve when I'm running the game. But I just as a as a as a handler, I'm I have very different tastes in the kind of game I enjoy than what I, when I'm playing. That's that's interesting. And it raises another question. If this is one of your setting rules, should you tell your players? I'd say yes, because of that initial conversation that I talked about earlier. It's the same thing as you don't have to leave somebody out in the car to guard your car, because I'm not going to do that to you, unless it's a special circumstance, you know? So I mean, that's different, because that, that a character is like getting taken to the gameplay and you want to stop that. But if players don't know that they're not going to get killed by random happenstance, that doesn't it can really only empower them to do stupid shit. Whereas if you're, it's kind of like, like you know, the, the opening swing the bad guy makes, you know, it does forty damage, and your character, has, your player character has forty, thirty nine hit points, and you're like, it does thirty five damage because you're like, I don't want to waste a guy that fast in the first, you know, the biggest fight or whatever. Like the players don't even know that you fudged that. So I wonder if maybe, I mean, I'm a, I'm of the mindset that I'd rather put it in like the opening briefing, but I do wonder if maybe you shouldn't because it it's like a setting trope or it's a rule better left like in the DM's head only. There's the only place it needs to exist. Here's the thing. I've been thinking about heart a lot in this conversation because it's written outright in the heart that a player just can't get one hit KO'd. You have to be at least a little beat up or actually pretty significantly beat up before death is on the table. But it also tells you death should be a conversation between the player and the GM and the player should always give their okay for it. But that's the one hard written line. The GM can throw you around and make your life miserable in a bunch of different ways short of that. So eventually it gets to a point where the player is, does it make more sense for me to just let this guy die and roll up a new person? Or do I want to keep struggling on and try to fix all my broken limbs and bones and my various mental ailments and the loss of supplies and things like that? That's a fascinating one because that is explicitly calling out the tension that often happens in games like Delta Green of, do I want to keep playing this character who's got so many negative modifiers and malices that he is worse than useless in an investigation? Right. And so Heart is a lot more story gamey than Delta Green, or I'm not sure how Seventh Seat is, but it's sort of in that more wheelhouse, I guess. But it just occurs to me that it's got that place where it can be pretty brutal, but it's ultimately on your side, whether you've done enough with the character, you're happy letting him go out, or if you just feel like this guy's becoming enough of a pain in the ass, let me (laughs) just shed him. So the thing about Hart, though, that I, that I I remember, because Hart looks looks super fucking cool, and we never did get to play it, was that um, Hart would probably have been a way better system to run the library dungeon crawl in than Spire. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. There's a couple in that book that are a lot more like that, where you can kind of abstract the exploration. Because for those of you who aren't familiar, Hart is a game... Uh, 
So Spire, Spire is a game about being Drows that fight a rebellion against the High Elves that took over your Drow city. But there's like this cool engine in the game about um, blackmailing your enemies or otherwise coercing them. Because if you just kill someone, they get replaced. But if you blackmail them, not only do they not get replaced, but they also become an asset to your organization. So there's an explicit mechanical framework for why you would leave people alive instead of killing them. Because usually in RPGs, killing someone is the permanent solution or anything else the players don't trust. And then Heart is a... Heart is basically take that setting, but instead of fighting for control of the overworld, you go into an infinite dungeon, and at the bottom of the dungeon is the heart of the city, and you have various dark fantasy adventures in the basement. Right. Spire is about social manipulation. Heart is the same setting and mostly the same mechanics, but it's about, like, exploration and dungeon diving and things like that. I love those things. Tell me more. So... I had a similar, or this kind of came up with one of my players in a Blades in the Dark game. They were trying to chase down some vampires, and they rolled very poorly. They went off on their own to go investigate a bunch of vampires and rolled just very, very poorly. Um, so I pulled them into a second channel, and I was like, hey, you know, how do you feel about becoming a vampire? Like, that, this is an option I'll give you. You could, you know, your rolls are so bad that they could capture you and turn you into a vampire and send you back to your cronies. But, like, it's going to fundamentally change you. It's your character sheet. And like, I'm not going to do that to you. Like, it certainly would have been a cooler moment to just do it. But I, f- I felt like that'd be break, you know, like breaking the social contract of like ripping away someone's character. And they were cool with it. And then they played for a little while. And now the guy's going to become the villain of the campaign because he's too crazy, um, which is neat and organic. But like, it was definitely made better by like a kind of a soft break in the action being like, all right, take a pause here. This is what's going to happen. You know, this can happen. How do you feel about it? And I think you can kind of do the same thing of like, like maybe that's when you want to reveal the fact that your your game system has this rule of like you know somebody like panics and gets like tossed off a balcony or something or falls off a balcony and they're like oh no I'm fucked they're like well look here's here's one thing I have a belief in you know so this that won't kill you but here's some options how do you feel about it you know because they may say like oh no it's so tragic I want that to be their death and I want I want to play their like son who's gonna come back and like you know gain revenge on the architect who built the balcony or you know whatever so it's so almost like you don't want to, you, don't, you almost don't want to force that on players you want to give them that choice yeah i think that was a good way to handle that was to make it a negotiation how do you feel about doing this and he was like it was like it was i was like, like go to this page in your book take a look at what how's going to mechanically change your character like make sure that's you're cool with that because if you're not you know I'll find some other thing for you that bad happened to you. Blades was an interesting one for me because Blades is a game that wants you to be uh, very narrative-y. Like, it wants you to, to be constantly coming up with, like, okay, here's a cool devil's bargain or whatever. Here's a, a cool way that I can do a thing in this scene. And, uh, like, the, pre, the, the retroactive preparation mechanics for heists. But then beneath that, there's a layer of, like, not just instant character death, but, like, pretty harsh punishments for fucking up because of the way the stress recovery system worked. And, I mean, I liked I liked playing it, but that was something that I didn't like about the game, was that it really felt like if you are... If you haven't mastered the system and if you aren't playing optimally, you can essentially get locked out of all the downtime activities because you're just spending all of your time recovering HP. It just means you got to send money, and that means you can't do other things. Yeah, exactly. So you're locked out of playing a phase of the game because you're just playing catch-up. It felt like a bit of an XCOM-style, like... If you do well, you get you you just do even better, and if you do badly, then you do worse. Yeah, I can see that. And part of it was that part of Blades is also that if you attempt the really risky roles and actions, you gain more XP just for doing yeah, them. Yeah, that's true. So you do have a little more potential from those in the downtime phase, and we were playing it pretty safe even during heists. 
we were playing it safe because the first game we played, we just got our asses kicked by everything, and it did not engender a desire to, like, risk anything in the future adventures. There's also kind of, like, it's kind of up to the storyteller to kind of, like, you want everyone to be stressed, but not so stressed. So if all the characters are doing only downtime, stress-relieving downtime activities, that's kind of a signal for your storyteller to, like, give you a heist that gives you some extra money so you can spend some extra cash on other stuff. And if they're, like, never spending it on stress, then you want to, you know, kind of turn the lever on, like, giving them more resistance rolls and, like, kind of forcing them to build up some stress. So, like, part of that is just... Like the you know the GM so to speak has to kind of see where the party's going, kind of steer them into the in the lanes a little bit, like in the, between the bumpers, you know. But I wouldn't know because you guys never invited me to play. That's Blades not true. It was an open jerk. invite. <laughs> never invited Kevin to play at the explicitly open table Blades in the Dark game. Kevin, you were making a character. You never finished him. I oh, remember this. Oh, oh, Hang on, I'm going to go receipts, in the next one. I'm going to control F. I'm going to find it. There's going to be receipts. I mean, please do because I don't remember that at all. He 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 has the receipts. But you know what, Kevin. I, I want to just say that you're welcome because the biggest thing that motivates people is spite. And you said, you know what? Jake's not going to let me play in this table or whatever excuse it is you have in your head right now. No, that's what it was. It, it was never invited. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, well, fine, then I'll just make my own, you know, game with blackjack and hookers. So you're, so you're welcome. So, yeah, I, so I, I, did, welcome. I, right, I did my own and it's been great. I just, you know. Good job, Kevin. So now I just need to do the same thing with Twilight 2000, although I don't want to. I really want someone to run that. And Shadowrun. West Marches. <laughs> <laughs>